And so this is all important. So we're going to look at some parables in Matthew that deal with growth, maturity, the importance of being faithful. So Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start off with this parable of the sower and the seed. Verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, and while all the people stood there on the shore. Then he, stood, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As we've talked about before, Israel was an agrarian society. Unlike our culture, where produce is found at the market, where you find your plump, fresh, genetically enhanced vegetables, their culture revolved around the sowing, the planting, and the harvesting of fruits and vegetables. Not everybody in this culture was a farmer, but everyone was well acquainted with this process. We've talked about also in this fellowship that even the religious holidays revolved around this life cycle of growth, plant growth, agrarian growth. Passover, for instance, is also called the Festival of Ripeness because it falls in early spring when the crops are just beginning to ripen. Pentecost is known as the Feast of Weeks. It's also known as the Festival of Harvest because it occurs in late spring during the harvest time. The Festival of Tabernacles is also known as the Festival of Ingathering because it celebrates the fall when the crops are gathered. So there is this agricultural life cycle, which is part of the culture of Israel. So we have here a figure that everyone is well acquainted with in this culture, and that's this farmer or this sower. And it's from the sower's hand that all the subsequent growth and life of that culture is dependent upon, right? So he goes out and he sows his seed, and it's from the sowing of his seed that they produce the food that they live uh, on right so look at verse 4 it says as he was sc uh, scattering seed some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, still others, other seed, fell on good ground where it produced the crop, a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. So we have this parable, and it's a parable of the sower and the seed. And you have four different categories of ground upon which this seed was sown. All right? The first category was the seed that fell upon the pathway, the pathway. Now, this path wasn't, you know, a road or, you know, a paved road. It was basically the field paths that the farmers used to get out to their fields. And these were well-worn paths. Soil on the pathway was hardened because of use, because of the oxen and the human use because rain falling on it because of, uh, because of the sun baking it it was just hard as baked clay all right and the more that this path was used of course the harder it became you know you look at some of these pathways and they've been used so often that they've actually sunken they call them sunken roads 
because soil on them has had become so impacted that the whole road just kind of sank below the other surrounding fields. So you can imagine when the sower went out and he's sowing seed and he takes a handful of seed and he throws it and some of it falls on this pathway. What is it going to do? It's going to bounce. <laughs> it's going to, it's not going to be absorbed into the land. It's going to bounce on top. And this is that seed that never actually sprouts. It doesn't sprout because it's not implanted within the dirtway. And so these, uh, that's where the, the birds come swooping down and they eat this seed and, and they, I mean, it's an easy meal, right? It's an easy meal. So that's the seed that fell in the first category. The second category is the seed that falls in rocky places. Okay, so these are rocky areas within the ground that the sower is sowing. They're not completely devoid of soil, but because of the amount of rocks in the soil, there's not a real depth to the soil because you have rocks there. Um, I had planted a, uh, uh, a garden a couple of years ago out beside our house, and I got the brilliant idea that I was going to have beds where I was going to have my plants, and then between the beds I was going to put gravel, you know, and we were using, I was using a big gravel, you know, a big piece of gravel. So I had a, I, I contacted the gravel company, and they delivered a gigantic pile of gravel. And so I carted all that gravel over and I put it between the different beds and I'm working. And anyway, my wife this year wanted to plant her garden out there. And we are plagued with rocks everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they are everywhere. And of course, they've got to be removed because the plants aren't going to grow where there's a bunch of rocks. So the seed falls on this rocky ground. And there's, like I said, there's enough dirt there to support the seed's germination and it, and the early growth of that seed, right? So the seed sprouts, but the root that it produces, it's a very small root, but it's not enough root to be able to get the water and the nutrients that that plant needs, not in sufficient supply. So as that plant begins to grow, it can't grow the way it should because its growth is stunted by this lack of root. And then, of course, the sun is baking on that plant, and that plant withers and dies. Okay? That's the second category. The third category is the seed that falls among the thorny ground or among the weeds. So you have the seeds sprout up in, within this thorny ground, this weedy ground, and it successfully germinates, and it becomes a seedling, and it develops a root, and it's finding a water supply, and it's getting nutrients, and everything looks good for this plant, except that it gets encroached upon by these other weeds. Okay? And the other weeds start doing what? Stealing its water supply stealing its nutrients, blocking its sun, right? Stopping it from getting the nutrients that it needs, and that plant gets choked out. And the fourth category are the seeds that fall on good ground. This is the seed that germinates, that grows into a seedling. Eventually, that plant buds, and then it flowers, and eventually it produces fruit, and it begins the whole life cycle over again from the fruit that it produces. 
what what we call it bolting. Yeah. So when you know the plant grows and grows and grows, and then it gets to a a point where the growth pretty much stops, and all its energy is put into the producing of seeds. It's called bolting, and it produces the seeds, and then it distributes the seeds, and you have a brand new generation of plants. Isn't that cool? I love it. That's really awesome. So, <clears throat> so in in this parable, Jesus has chosen a very common subject for the time. All right, but he doesn't really go into depth on it, does he? He just kind of states the case that you have the sower who goes out, he sows a seed, some falls on the wayside, gets eaten up by birds, some falls on the stony ground, uh, and it it gets scorched by the sun and it dies. Some falls on the uh, among thorny uh, thorny bushes, and what happens to it? It gets choked out and it dies. But then you have the seed that falls on the good ground and it produces fruit in abundance. You have 160, 30 fold, right? And so in verse 10, it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? That's a good question. Well, a better question is, what is a parable? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is has been given to you, but not to them. Now, I wonder why that is. Why are the secrets being given to one group of people and not another? Does that make Jesus or God a respecter of persons? No, not at all. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 7, uh, in verse 6, it says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample you and uh, trample them under feet and then turn and rend you to pieces. The point here being, is that uh, God gives to those who can receive. If you can't receive it, you can't get it. So if there is an exclusionary or an exclusion happening here, it's due to the person, not to God. Does that make sense? And so by preaching in terms of a parable, you are dividing between these two groups, that the person who has eyes to see and ears to hear, when they hear this parable, they're going to go, oh, I get it. But the person who doesn't won't. And it all has to do with the preparation of that person's heart. Remember earlier that when Jesus, he got finished talking about this parable or, you know, stating this parable, what did he say? He said, those that have ears to hear, let them hear, right? So the idea here is is that hearing isn't just an act of listening, that there's a deeper understanding there, that, you know, people can listen all day long, but do they hear? Do they get it? There's this connotation of understanding that not only do they hear it physically in their ears, but they're getting it. They're getting it. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, this is a huge key in understanding spiritual growth. Whoever has. This refers to the servant who has invested his time and his effort in hearing and implementing the word in his life, right? That he's been sowing. <laughs> he's been sowing the word to himself and he's reaping from that. Okay, so to him that hath or whoever has, 
more will be given. Why? Because he's able to handle more. Because his heart has been tuned, right? It's been uh, fixed to the point where it can receive more truth. To him that has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And this is just to teach that faith is not an idle activity. It's not an idle activity. Remember, uh, Matthew, you don't have to turn there uh, either, but Matthew chapter 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The point here being is that God's wisdom must be sought. It must be sought. You don't just get it by osmosis. goes on to say, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So when we talk about to him that has, more will be given. But to him that has not, that which he has will be taken away. The idea here is is that uh, to the diligent servant who utilizes his time wisely in seeking after God's wisdom, God will give him more wisdom because he's able to receive it. But that servant who does not do that is called in the scriptures lazy and wicked because he did not pursue God. I think about, you know, the uh, distributions, uh, distribution to the three men, the three servants, the talents, right? And the, and the one who received three and went out and invested it and got three more and the one who got two talents went out and invested those and got two more right but the one who you know he received one talent what did he do he buried it in the ground he did nothing with it and how did the master refer to him wicked and slothful he called him wicked and slothful right so the point being is to him that hath That person who has distributed, has sown in his life, has gone out and used what he has, he will be blessed with more, right? It's, it's just a, it's a circle of, you know, growth. You know, the more that you sow, the more that you reap. And the more that you reap, the more that you sow. That's the idea. And you grow and you grow and you grow. Sometimes you grow in, you know, in addition. And sometimes in multiplication and sometimes exponentially. There are days that you'll wake up and you'll say, oh, my gosh, look, I can do things I could never do before. Well, that's because the harvest has come home in your life. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Um, Look at verse 13. It says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. So who is uh, who has excluded these people from understanding and perceiving? Who has closed their eyes or their ears? Well, in one sense, it's God in the fact that he set up this judgment, that if they choose not to pursue God, then they're going to get excluded. This is a requirement. 
But ultimately, it is because they did the choosing. They chose not to pursue God, and that's why they don't have this vision, this eye, you know, that they can see with their eyes and hear with their ears. So, you know, that's part of our spiritual maturity is just coming to terms with that, that we are going to be meeting people who just don't get it. <laughs> and don't be shocked by that. Don't be shocked by that. Thank God that we do. And pray to God that we can more so. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Isn't that wonderful? There's a real thankfulness there, isn't there? A real rejoicing that God has blessed us with truth that other people in former ages never got, even though they desired it. So that's why we just can't take this thing for granted here, that when God opens your heart to a truth, it behooves you to understand it, remember it, and then walk out on it, right? Remember the verse where it says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Okay, so verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower says or means. Verse 19. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom or about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown by the path. Okay? And I would say that the majority of mankind falls into this category. If they heard the message at all, they failed to understand it. And though the truth had actually made it to their heart, it was quickly snatched away. It was quickly snatched away, right? There are people that you meet on the street. You start talking to them about Jesus Christ. They'll say, I've already heard all that. And they'll give you this straw man of a recitation of what Christianity is all about. They'll say, well, you know, Christianity is this, 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 and this, right? Well, they might have a, you know, a outline of what Christianity is, but they don't really have any substance. And I would say these people fall into that category, right? Verse 20, it says, the one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is a man whose heart or who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And that is a guarantee that persecution will come. Trouble and persecution are uh, companions of growing spiritually. My wife is growing a garden out there, and she's beset upon by mites and aphids and all kinds of things. Every day she comes in telling me about some new worm that's attacking her plants. <laughs> ah, and I have to say, it's okay, sweetie, you'll get them. <laughs> Yeah, she said there was more of them than her. But there are always those who are, you know, spiritually who are trying to keep us from growing spiritually. And they will persecute us. And the thing that we have to do when we're persecuted is what? We have to hunker down, don't we? We have to endure the storm, batten down the hatches, right? Put our head down and push through. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's a big part of our calling is learning endurance, to be able to push through, that we're durable, that we're persistent, 
that we don't throw our hands up and walk out and say, I'm done with this fellowship. <laughs> ah, we just can't be that way. My goodness. We've got to be able to be strong and to work through things and be perseverant. Verse 22, the one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. I think a lot of Americans fall into this category. A lot of believers fall into this category, right? At one point, they were producing a lot of fruit in their lives. But what happened to them? They allowed the concerns of life, the deceitfulness of riches. And if you look in Mark, it adds adds to that. It says the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things, right? So you have a believer who's bearing fruit that he's a he or she, I should say, is a mature believer. They're producing fruit. Everything is good. They're they're walking and talking with the Lord, and then things encroach on that, and they become preoccupied with all these other things. I think this is particularly a danger right at this moment leading up to the elections. I know that I am really challenged keeping my head in in the game here, right, because I'm so distracted by the news and the politics and everything else. That's why it's important for us to get up every morning and put our heart in God's hand. Does that make sense? It's just very important because if we don't, we allow the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things to come in and choke out the word. We get choked out. Verse 23, it says, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what he has sown. Isn't that great? And this is the category that we should all desire. Now, why 30, 60, 100 fold? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I've heard different explanations for it. Uh, I think, you know, some people are able to you know, devote their entire lives to, um, you know, the the growth of God's word in their life, you know, moving the word, teaching the word, you know, other people, you know, they they have families. And, you know, the, we know from the scripture that, uh, you know, when a man chooses to marry a wife, right, he's he's got to pay attention to the wife. <laughs> so he doesn't have that that time moving the word or whatever. So I I think there's room for, you know, a little interpretation there. I'm sure that there's a lot of things. Um, I think certain people have natural long suits that provide for them. I certainly know that God doesn't preordain it, does he? That you can go as far and as fast with God as you are able or desirous to. God will never put a limit on you because you're you. <laughs> um, I did read this cool verse today in Hosea, though. Hosea 10, uh, verse 12, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness and you have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. So it's a choice, right? Are we going to pursue God and reap his goodness and allow the Lord to shower us with righteousness? Or are we going to pursue a crop of evil and 
deception and wickedness. I mean, it's up to us completely. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed to his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Okay, so first of all, this is uh, the NIV, and I think they really dropped the ball in this verse. It's not that the enemy came in and sowed weeds. They sowed tares. Okay, and and there's a reason for that. It's it's uh if you saw the picture of a a tear side by side with a, a you know with wheat, so a stalk of tares next to a stalk of wheat, they look identical. You can't tell them apart. You won't be able to tell them apart until they've actually bolted and produced seed. And it's at that time that a trained eye is able to distinguish between the wheat. And the tear. So this isn't just some weed. This is a specific weed that has all the appearances of the wheat, but it's not. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Verse 26, when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The tares also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling weeds, you might root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them to my barn. Um, There's another term for the tares. They're called darnells. Have you ever heard that term? You, you've heard that? Oh, is it? Yeah, Darnell's. But the point here is that this plan is indistinguishable from the wheat until the time of bolting or seeding. seeding. Uh, verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it was the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air may come and perch in its branches. Have Has anybody here seen a mustard tree? They're huge. They're gigantic, gigantic trees. And they start with a mustard seed. What would you say that's comparable to a mustard seed size-wise? I mean, it's actually smaller than a fruit fly, if you can imagine that. Or what? I don't know. Super small. Uh-huh. Uh, a poppy seed. A poppy seed. There you go. Yeah, you've had a bagel with poppy seed on it before, right? <laughs> so a poppy seed, super small. And then you have this gigantic tree. So what are we talking about here? Well, the growth potential of faith. The growth potential of faith. That, that inherent within this little bitty mustard seed is the growth potential of a gigantic tree that birds would sit in. Kind of a cool thing to think about when you think about your life. And you think about the the seed that you're sowing in your life and what are the possibilities, right? I think that's kind of cool. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. Again, the, the permeability, the ability for this to permeate the whole lump. And this is, by the way, 
the same metaphor is used for the dangers of false doctrines and sin, right? That a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So it's for both righteousness and unrighteousness. Verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. You know, I got tickled when I read that because what is he talking about here? Things that were hidden from the creation of the world. We're talking about these old proverbial truths, the things that have been around since the beginning and what we talked about last week in fellowship about the gods of the copybook headings. Kind of neat. Verse 36, and went into the house. The apostles came to him and said, what's the parable of the weeds in the field? He answered, the one who's good seed is the man. The field is the and the good seed stands for the sons of kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. These tares. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the tares are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be in the end of the age. Isn't that great? He doesn't say the tares are going to go to hell. He says the tares are going to be burned, right? The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. How about that? That's a promise. They will throw them in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Isn't that wonderful? So there is going to be a reckoning, a reckoning. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's tremendous. And that's devotion to the truth, to the truth. That you know, we come across the truth, and some people, they go, eh, that's nice, and they move on. But there are some people who place a high value on the truth and a high value on wisdom. And you can tell by their life. I mean, I'm not looking for anybody in this fellowship to sell all that he has. But, you know, it, it, it does show up, you know, if people, you know, come and get their ears tickled every Sunday and then really do nothing. Well, OK. But there are some who are devoted to this message and they are out telling people about God and and it is all consuming for them. There's a term that we use. I've used it before in fellowship. It's not the man that holds the truth, but by the man who is held by the truth, held by the truth, that he places a high value on God's word. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. Have you understood these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said unto them, therefore, every teacher of the law 
who has been instructed out of the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Well, where did he get them? (laughs) To him that has, more shall be given. But to him that has not, that which he has shall be taken away. Jesus spent his life sowing to the Spirit. Isn't that great? Sowing to the Spirit. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? You know that family. They're a bunch of rabble-rousers over there. And you know you're definitely defined by your family, aren't you? (laughs) Verse uh, 56. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. People are going to take offense at your life too. So what? But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Does everybody know what that means? That means that you may be blessed and gifted with great things from God, but a lot of times those things are lost on the people who are closest to you. Because they see what? They know all your piccadillies, all your you know, quirks. They see them all. And sometimes they see so much of them that they can't see that gifting, that blessing from God on your life. Now, it's my responsibility to try not to inflict my quirks on my family as much as possible, right? But it's also the responsibility of my family to keep things in perspective. And I I would exhort that for all of us, that we have people in our lives and you can, you can think about what you choose to think about. I mean, you can, you can look at them after their, you know, quirks or you can look at them after their, after the blessings that God has placed on their lives. I'll guarantee you, you will be happier and more blessed if you do the latter, right? And if you are so inclined to be negatively predisposed to thinking about the you know, short suits of people, it's going to take a little effort to, you know, reorder your thinking. But I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to do it. Let me read that over again. Verse 57, and they took offense at him. And But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. (laughs) And he did not do many miracles there because of what? Their lack of faith. Who's who's the uh, the loser here? the other people, right? We want households where, you know, in marriages where people are looking at the long suits and relying on the long suits spiritually of each other. Do you see how that is a good thing? That you are bringing out those valuable long suits, those giftings in that person's life by relying on them for them. And like I said, sometimes we get into situations where that's not going on, and it just, it's a reordering. You have to reorder the way that you think here. Anyway, I wanted to finish up with a verse I thought of during the teaching. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. We're always trying to circumvent this, aren't we? We say, hey, it's grace. God's not going to see that, or God doesn't care. It's grace. Well, he does care. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature, he will receive 
destruction. The one, however, that sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And then it goes on to say, let us not become weary in well-doing or in doing doing good for all the proper time we will reap. Or for, I'm sorry, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isn't that great? So if you're a seedling and you want to have a, you know, a big harvest of apples, well, you got a little waiting to do, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's important, though, that you stay persistent in doing the right thing and walking by the Spirit. All right? So that's what I wanted to share today. Let me go ahead and finish with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for being able to sow to the Spirit in our lives. That Father, we uh, we are about doing uh, the good that you've commanded us to do in our lives. That Father, that we know that as we sow to the Spirit, that, that we will reap all the blessings that your Word talks about. That Father, you are not a respecter of persons, but you certainly are a respecter of conditions. I thank you for each person in this life choosing to rise up and just pursue you and pursue the truth more diligently than ever before. So I thank you for this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Forty days and nights of rain wash this land. Jesus said the money changers in this temple will not stay. Find your flock, get them to higher ground. Blood waters rising in Canaan